You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. to the Book of Nature podcast, your quasi-regular foray into all things science, faith, and everywhere in between. Uh, it's been a while since our last uh, podcast, as you may have noticed. Um, all of us here at the Book of Nature podcast are very busy all the time. It's difficult to find times to meet together, but we do the best we can. So we are not quitting anytime soon. Hopefully we can try to get on a more regular schedule, but... Uh, either way, we're just going to keep going and trucking along. Well, thank you for sticking with us and listening. Today's topic is parapsychology. This is episode 33. Uh, parapsychology was just something that I had been thinking about recently, reading a couple um, books on the paranormal just for my own personal interest. Um, not so much uh, interest as Dan Aykroyd, but... Uh, you know, occasionally I just get interested in things like this, and I thought, hey, it'd be great to have an episode about it, uh, and we have our own resident psychologist who can weigh in on the topic, and he is with me today. It's Charles Hackney, who is professor of psychology at Briarcrest in Cairnport, Saskatchewan. How are you today, Charles? I'm doing all right. Uh, been, spent the past few days battling some illness, but uh, I am back on my feet and sucking on cough drops. Uh, and ready to talk about uh, parapsychology. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and unfortunately today, we do not have our other cohort, uh, Todd Pedler. Um, he is away doing particle physics things. I believe he is on a trip to Japan. Uh, so he is not with us today, but he sends his regards. And so it'll just be me and Charles going back and forth about this uh, subject. So let's just get right to it. Um, Charles, you're a psychologist, but are you a parapsychologist with a winking motion that the audience, <laughs> the listeners cannot uh, see? Um, anyway, what is parapsychology, and how does it stack up to the regular variety? Can you tell us something about its history, famous parapsychologists, either living or dead, um, and whether or not you've ever spoke to them, either living or dead? <laughs> what about famous critics anything interesting along those lines have that well it. i am a psychologist um but remember that you're talking to a guy who has read a lot of comic books and science fiction novels so in some ways i really wish i was a parapsychologist a world with verified psi abilities um that'd be about the closest i'd ever get to being able to join the x-men but sadly no I am only a mundane psychologist, limited to boring old reality. Okay. So as for what parapsychology is, so uh, I'm quoting the the Parapsychological Association. That's a good source, so, I guess. Yes. Well, got to go to the source. Then. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so the Parapsychological Association 
defines parapsychology as, quote, the scientific and scholarly study of three kinds of unusual events, ESP, mind-matter interaction, and survival, which are associated with human experience. So let's break those three down. So ESP, extrasensory perception, uh, refers to abilities relating to the perception of things that are not accessible using standard sensory structures. Um, the term includes telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition. Mind-matter interaction is the term that they use for psychokinesis, or the ability to in some way influence physical phenomena with one's mind. And survival uh, involves, uh, quoting again, phenomena suggestive of survival after bodily death, including near-death experiences, apparitions, and reincarnation. Parapsychologists, uh, properly understood, do not concern themselves with topics outside of these areas, uh, such as, and I'm you know, quoting again from the Parapsychological Association, where they're, say, they're saying, this is what we are not. Mm. Um, so they don't concern themselves with, quote, astrology, UFOs, searching for Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, paganism, Satanism, vampires, alchemy, or witchcraft. Okay. Yeah. So they're uh, very clear on what... Um, at least wanting to distance themselves from certain things um, that they may uh, get lumped in. That's their their right. goal. Uh, they, they specialize in what they call psi phenomena. Mm. Uh, parapsychologists use a variety of methods, including case studies, cross-cultural analyses, and laboratory experimentation uh, in their attempts to validate the existence of these psi phenomena uh, and better understand them. Now, the relationship between psychology and parapsychology is an interesting one. If we go back to the origins of the field, um, the late 19th century saw the founding of parapsychological research, and there were many big names in, in psychology, mainstream psychology, who were perfectly open to the idea of using the tools of the new emerging science of experimental psychology to investigate claims made by mediums and phenomena such as uh, telepathy. So, listeners, one of the things you've got to remember about the 19th century is that uh, the 19th century was uh, an explosion of scientific discovery. Uh, we've got advances in chemistry, in physics, in uh, medical technology, uh, in uh, mechanical technology. And uh, the 19th century is this time of tremendous scientific optimism. Uh, it seems that every time we turn around, we're discovering new and amazing things, and there appears to be nothing that uh, science cannot be used to uh, discover, uh, and nothing science there is nothing that science cannot be used to make better. Um, so around this time, the human sciences get in on this, so we start seeing things like uh, the introduction of sociology. Uh, we start seeing early personality theorizing. Uh, when we see this uh, up, uprising of experimental psychologists. So we are going to stop doing philosophical psychology. So if you want to know um, why humans do the things that humans do, we're going to stop reading Aristotle and, uh, and Hobbes and people like that, and we're going to go into the laboratories and start collecting some hard data. So there was this enthusiasm. We should be able to investigate anything. So yeah, uh, a lot of these early people, a lot of these um, early parapsychologists were in fact 
mainstream psychologists because they just extended the same attitude. If somebody comes along saying, hey, I can contact the dead uh, or I can read people's minds, great, let's science this. Mm. <clears throat> so uh, the Society for Psychical Research was formed in the UK in 1882, and one of the early presidents of that organization was William James, founder of North American Psychology. So major universities such as Duke and Stanford established centers for parapsychological research. At Duke University, one of the parapsychological researchers there uh, was William McDougall, who was an early figure in evolutionary psychology and social psychology. Now, a lot of this early work by uh, psychologists involved a high degree of skepticism and a lot of debunking of fraudulent claims. Uh, McDougall investigated the famous medium uh, Mina Crandon, who was eventually shown to be a fraud. Uh, Richard Hodgson, a prominent SPR member, debunked numerous fraudulent mediums, uh, though he personally maintained a belief in spirits. Uh, physicist uh, Eleanor Sidgwick also debunked mediums, published a paper critical of spirit photography. In fact, there was so much debunking going on uh, by the SPR uh, that there was a mass resignation of members uh, led by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle on the grounds that the, that the society no longer supported spiritism. Now, uh, when we take a look at the research into psi phenomena, we find a, a recurring pattern. Uh, one source of data for parapsychologists is accounts of extraordinary occurrences, uh, which are usually discounted by skeptics who can think up alternate explanations for the event. Uh, another source is laboratory experimentation, and the recurring pattern there tends to be uh, impressive initial findings, followed by complete failures to replicate. Uh, methodological criticism, exposure of research fraud, so the founder of the parapsychology lab at Duke University, uh, J.B. Rhine. So uh, we had talked about, uh, you know, Dan and I, uh, whether we were going to uh, mention Ghostbusters. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I love the movie. I don't know anybody who doesn't love the movie. It's brilliant. All thinking people love the movie. Agreed. <clears throat> so Ghostbusters begins with what appears to be a parapsychological study. Uh, in which Venkman is uh, asking participants to uh, guess what is on the back of cards. And so uh, he's holding up the cards, and you know, one of them has some wavy lines, one of them has a triangle, one of them has a star, and so on. And, and then uh, if they get a, the participants get a wrong answer, uh, he zaps them. Uh, now, it turns out that at pretty much every level, this is just a load that he's doing. So first off, so some for some straightforward psychology, um, in the scene, Venkman says he is investigating the effects of negative reinforcement uh, on, uh, on psi phenomena. That's not negative reinforcement. Negative, re that is, negative reinforcement is not zapping people when they make a mistake. What that is, is punishment. It's not the same thing. So he's misusing the scientific terms. And of course, also it turns out that he's uh, just using it as an excuse to uh, flirt with uh, uh, a good-looking participant. But anyway. Mm -hmm. I was, was going to say what I find am amusing about that scene 
is that there's like clearly a person there who is like like showing all these paranormal abilities and he's just sort of like ignoring it because he wants to like you said flirt with the other student that's that's uh, doing the study who's showing absolutely no um, ability whatsoever i just right. i just thought that was somewhat amusing um yeah. when i first saw that um but uh <clears throat> yeah and listeners i want to point out that my my uh reference to dan Aykroyd earlier was because uh his the whole ghostbusters franchise sort of came out of his um uh uh interest in in uh, the paranormal um he so that's sort of what was the seed and the germ for the for ghostbusters well, it turns out the cards, that's a real thing. So that particular set of cards that Venkman's using in this uh, Ghostbuster scene um, was invented by J.B. Ryan, <coughs> who was the founder of the parapsychology lab at Duke. And uh, Ryan started using uh, statistical techniques to try and test this. So... I mean, you know, if, if I start holding up cards and I'm asking you to guess the cards, you know, by simple probability, you should get some correct. Um, but if we, you know, if you get more than chance correct, then we might start to take notice, and we have to ask the question: How much more than chance? And now we can start using some statistical techniques. Uh, so Ryan's research involved establishing the existence of telepathy and clairvoyance. And he used these cards, so he would differentiate between them. So uh, telepathy, of course, is the ability to uh, to read minds and tell what someone else is thinking. So if I wanted to test for telepathy, uh, and so if I want to see if Dan is telepathic, uh, I would take a look at the card and ask Dan to guess what I'm seeing. Clairvoyance is knowledge of events that are happening that a person would not have you know, normal sensory access to. So we would separate that from telepathy by uh, drawing a card, but I would not look at it. I would simply maybe draw it and just put it right face down without looking at it, then have Dan guess, mm. and then turn it over to see whether or not Dan is right. So yeah, so he's actually trying to It's one of those yellow that, circles. Was I right? Yeah. That was right. Ooh, are uh, you, know, you doing anything later tonight? <laughs> you may have to test further. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, for that, yes. Go so ahead, anyway, um, uh, so yeah, Ryan originally gained a lot of prominence, but his results uh, fell out of favor when he faced some criticisms of sloppy methods. And when people tried to replicate his studies using more rigorous methods, they found nothing. Uh, and that's the pattern that we tend to see. So in the 1940s, uh, G.S. Sowell <coughs> uh, claimed to have found strong evidence for precognition, so knowledge of future events, and telepathy. And for a long time, uh, his work was considered the gold standard and as solid evidence uh, for the existence of psi phenomena until Betty Markwick uh, demonstrated in uh, a publication in 1978 that Sowell had in fact fudged his data. So there he went. Now, getting back to William James. William James's last article on psychical research was published in 1909. Uh, and in it, he reflected on uh, 25 years of research. And he unhappily reported that the field had not progressed from its origins in the slightest. And it, clearly, weird stuff happens. 
But that weird stuff remains stubbornly uncorroborated. Mm-hmm. And that same sentiment was later expressed by Henry Sidgwick, first president of uh, the Society for Psychical Research, uh, and later by uh, philosopher Anthony Flew in 1978. Mm. So the field does not appear to be progressing. Uh, since the 1980s, parapsychology has declined uh, considerably. There are still a, f- a few laboratories conducting psychical research, uh, including the one at the uh, University of Virginia, uh, and one at the University of Arizona. I was reading an article in Nature, uh, you know, written in 2007 by uh, Lucy Odlingsme, and she says that there's a stronger presence of parapsychology in the UK. Yeah, I think uh, and this is this is because parapsychologists are encouraged to do regular psychological research as faculty members in normal psychology departments, um, which lends some more perceived as a, legitimacy. As opposed to, to paranormal work. psychology departments, yes, yes. they're so not you, quite you, you do there. regular old. Well, I mean, <laughs> most of us have more than one area of research interest. I mean. Um, Sure, some of the sure. stuff that I do, you know, I, was a I do bad some stuff with terror management theory, and I do some stuff with positive psychology, and uh, some stuff with psychology of religion. So if I was uh, one of these UK uh, parapsychologists, mm-hmm. uh, I would get a job, uh, and you know, as part of my research, you know, I would do some terror management uh, theory, uh, straightforward stuff, and some positive psychology stuff, and also some telepathy stuff. So, so that's so. Uh, how do I phrase this question? So. I find that interesting. Is that not the case in in the U.S.? Like, if you're a parapsychologist, that's all you do, or are there any quote unquote normal psychologists um, <laughs> that uh, that um, also dabble in parapsychology? Um, not a lot is, that I could find. So, is it that segregated? I guess in the U.S. Yeah, it it, it tends to be there tends to be the greater specialization there. Mm, okay. Now, the Society for, for Psychical Research still exists. Uh, you can look it up. They've got a website. Mm-hmm. Um, but they seem to be far less skeptical these days, and they do a lot less uh, laboratory research. Uh, the, para- the Parapsychological Association still exi- uh, it exists. Right. And uh, when I went to their website, uh, I found a list of places where those who are so inclined... Uh, can pursue a degree in parapsychology and related fields, mm-hmm. uh, in, including uh, Saybrook University in California and Atlantic University in Virginia. Uh, now, the Parapsychological Association, Association does caution prospective parapsychologists uh, that given the marginal position of the field, it would be a good idea to have a regular job. Yeah. Uh, and do psychical work on the side. Uh, nobody should think that uh, they can uh, get a tenure-track academic position as a parapsychologist. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you know, even even if we don't take into account the uh, the status of the field, I'm just thinking about you know what a nasty situation the academic job market is. I mean. If regular researchers are having a terrible time finding tenure track faculty positions, sure. There's you know there's just no hope uh, if you're thinking you're going to get a tenure track position, um, getting people to guess uh, cards. Yeah. 
So some of the things you were you were you were mentioning there kind of um, jogged my uh, not, uh, memory there. Um, did you? I don't. I don't think you mentioned Princeton in there. Did you? You mentioned University of Arizona, um, uh, University of Virginia. Uh, Prince- Princeton, Princeton used to have they, one. They were one of the, the earliest yeah. uh, parapsychology but laboratories. They only just recently shut that down, right? That yeah. wasn't too long ago. What was ago. that, 07? Yeah. And oh, some, something there. And yeah. they were doing um, some, what I actually kind of considered some interesting research with uh, um, some, I, I don't know if they, if they actually called it this, but something like, like micro psi or something, like where they were basically looking at the ability or lack thereof of humans to be to influence random number generators. Yes. So like they were trying to see okay if you just focused on have there would be like I don't know some kind of uh uh random dots or something you were trying to f- force them to go one side of the screen or the other or something like that. I I I only vaguely recall reading about this a while ago, but at the time that um I first um heard about this i think i remember hearing reading about it in one of carl sagan's books um and that was uh, um i think it may have been the demon haunted world um and he was saying that that was one of the few areas of in his mind in uh parapsychology that actually had some possibility of something going for it experimentally like there was some small experimental hint that that there may be a greater than even chance of people being able to do this but i think since that time uh and this would have been probably 20 years ago um since that time they pretty much um were able to show that this slight positive effect um was probably not statistically significant um and of course statistical significance is fraught with its own issues but there you have it. So, uh, am I off base here? Am I remembering this correctly? I'm just curious no, you, what you thought about you that. You are you are remembering that correctly. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, um, I mean, I, I was focusing on some of the uh, you know telepathy and clairvoyance related studies. Uh, psychokinesis is its own field that I didn't even get into uh, when I was you know talking about this field, mm-hmm. but. Um, I mean, and we could have gone off on a whole thing about, you know, like Yuri Geller and spoon bending. And sure, yeah. Stuff There's so many that. things that you could do with this. Yeah. So, yeah, one possible – so in the, in the same way that we can use the statistical techniques to do card guessing, um, uh, psycho, some, some of the psychokinetic research uh, has involved trying to influence random events. So, I mean, I, I don't know how much gaming you've done, but I'm sure, you know – Oh, you know, quite it, a bit. Okay, so then, so then we're, we're on the same page here. So mm-hmm. uh, we both have the experience of rolling the dice and staring at the dice, willing it. Oh, sure. To get the yeah. So can we actually do anything like that? Now yeah. it turns out using actual dice is a problem because dice are not technically uniformly made, mm-hmm. uh, and you can actually influence the uh, the outcome of dice rolls by how you roll them, and there's all sorts of things like that. Um, so that's why they turn to random number generators. Mm-hmm. And yes, they did find some interesting phenomena in which people would stare at the uh, the random number generators, and you technically would get a little bit better than chance mm-hmm. uh, results. But yeah, then the question becomes becomes how much better than chance, and um, how well did you program the random number generators to be genuinely random? 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, we the, they ended up with all still having all sorts of methodological problems. Not to mention the fact that this kind of micro effect is deeply unsatisfying. Yeah, uh, I mean that's nobody wants to get into parapsychology to see if somebody could influence a um, a, a random number generator. Uh, 600 times out of 1,000 instead of 500. Yeah. We want, you know, we want levitation. Sure. But, we want Professor X. That's, yeah. <laughs> right. But, I mean, seriously, though, if you think about this for a minute, um, say that that this effect was real, that just for the sake of argument, that they were able to show that, okay, the chances of this being just a chance phenomenon is so low that we've got to admit there's some effect going on um for the sake of argument that would still be quite remarkable and it would the very least suggest that there's something going on that would lend tend to lend credence to maybe other more spectacular um things like like you said levitating or whatever and so i don't know if i saw that and was convinced of it i i would think that would be a pretty exciting result and um then i would want to dig into it more and see if you can find evidence of the others more spectacular stuff but i don't know maybe that's just me i agree by itself it's not very oh okay big whoop but but the very mm-hmm. fact that it's a if it's really an effect is that's a qualitative leap beyond what we've been able to show up to this point so does that make sense what i'm saying it does uh yeah uh, another area of criticism of the field is that it hasn't really gotten beyond this attempt to to just establish that the phenomena could happen at all. Um, there have yeah. been no theories put forward that could possibly explain uh, how any of this uh, could happen. Right. Yeah, I think um, the the theories that I've heard in the past have been involving like things like magnetic fields and 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 other s- sorts of stuff that that maybe perhaps people could influence with their minds um and it is true that we do have um magnetic fields emanating from our brains and but that's just simply because we have electrical currents going on in our brains very small ones and right. any a moving electric current generates a magnetic field and so we indeed do have a space extended magnetic fields that are constantly changing configuration around our brains but the the amount of energy in those is is so incredibly small that there's no way you could connect that with any kind of actual um being able to inf- macroscopically influence objects you know like levitating a coin or, or or something like that but i mean this is sort of the some of the stuff that i've seen appeals being made to but it, maybe sounds plausible on the surface, but when you start digging into it, just doesn't hold up. Yeah. But uh, I don't know what you thought about that kind of stuff, but. Well, uh, we should uh, move on to the next topic here. So um, I kind of already mentioned some of this, but um, I guess as we've already talked about, Critics have pointed out that despite great deals of effort, there hasn't been any positive ev- evidence for any of these uh, psi phenomena. Um, and so as a consequence, it's not typically looked very favorably upon by the rest of the scientific community. 
um, at least not to the extent that would convince a majority of scientists. Um, but what do you think, Charles? Do you think that parapsychology still deserves a place at the table, or should we consign it to the historical annals? What do you think? Um, I mean, my view is kind of closer to the old 19th century researchers. If we could find good, solid evidence for psi phenomena, I'd be on board with continuing the research. But, you know, after all of this that we've put into it, you know, we've uh, more than 100 years of research now, we just don't. We just have not gotten anything resembling really good em- uh, evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure that the field will continue to exist. There will always be a certain popularity to it. You know, weird stuff does continue to happen. Um, you know, horoscopes haven't gone anywhere, so you sure. know, lack of uh, scientific evidence doesn't seem to be as much of a consideration. But... You know, my, uh, unless I see something awesome happening, I'm pretty comfortable saying that uh, I think we can put this one in the bin uh, alongside phrenology and alchemy. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's that's something that I've I've often wondered about myself is at what point does a field of study become so uh like it's just not progressing, it's not showing anything. At what point do you say, "Okay, that's enough. Let's throw in the towel." Part of me wants to say, "Okay, we should have our, our, keep our minds open and be ready for, you know, stuff to come out of left field that we didn't think about. And, and that to the extent that people who are, who, that parapsychologists are trying their best to do, you know, good, um, well-crafted um, experiments into this, then, you know, I, I see no harm in continuing and more power to them. But there's another part of me that's like, like you just said, well, phrenology, you know, we nobody even thinks about that anymore. Um, uh, you know, there's a number of other other uh, alchemy. You know, you know, alchemy turned into chemistry, and we and we left it behind. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know myself. Um, I do think though that that unlike phrenology and alchemy, at least in the modern time, like I think you alluded to this, there's still a lot of popular interest in parapsychology, which will probably be enough to fuel continued work in it, um, and uh, just by itself. Uh, certainly, there's no shortage of uh, movies and TV shows that that have, you know, lots of paranormal, parapsychological elements to them. It's just an interesting subject. People are naturally interested in it, and uh, so I think that, like you said, even if we decided we wanted to consign it, it's probably not going to go away. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm kind of in agreement with you. Um, one, one thing I do say is that just because there hasn't been any evidence for something come up for even many, many years is not by itself, in my opinion, a good reason to, to not work on it anymore. Uh, lots of stuff in science, as we've talked about in the past on this podcast, has taken a long time to come up with any kind of evidence for uh, like the time, for example, between the, the, uh, the, the theoretical uh, prediction of the Higgs boson and its discovery was something like uh, 50 or 60 years. So um, it's uh, it can, ha- it can take a while. Um, but if the difference I am seeing here is that well, at least with the Higgs boson, there was a good, very strong theoretical underpinnings for 
its existence, um, certainly much more degree than there is for parapsychology, um, at least in my opinion. You may have a different one. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to go around kicking down the doors of the parapsychology laboratories and, you know, forcing them to quit. Mm. But I'm unless I see unless I see some uh some really good evidence, I'm just going to keep right on looking sideways at them. Yeah. Well, I think what bugs me and it's something you were talking about earlier about the whole field is not so much um that whether the question to me isn't whether it is a legitimate scientific enterprise or not. I think it can be. I just think that I think you, you were talking about this, um, that over time there's been, at least with some of the organizations been less and less reliance on scientific experiments and study. Um, the same experiments over and over again, without much progress and new techniques without, you know, theoretical developments and stuff like that. That to me is a more of a, of a, of a problem that's showing that there's a problem with the whole field than, you know, just it's, than it's subject matter, if that makes right. sense. I mean, yes. so I, it, that's what worries me. It's like, okay, to, if you could see, if tomorrow you would see some kind of uh, turnaround in, in these kinds of uh, methods, somebody came up with new, more appropriate statistical techniques, more appropriate experimental procedures, and continuously tried to push the envelope of that, then I would be much more inclined to be, oh, yeah, let's see what happens. You never know. You know, um, we always have to be doing that in science. And if you're not doing that, if you're not trying to push those boundaries to some degree, you're not trying to clean up problems with old techniques, you know, then, or even starting to abandon that entirely, I think you said about some of the, the uh, organizations, then there's, there's a problem. So, right. Yeah. So, um, so the, the subject of parapsychology is this psi phenomenon, which is like you were saying earlier, uh, according to, um, the, uh, th- their own website is anything having to do with some kind of, uh, human ability outside of, uh, of, uh, normal avenues to influence, um, minds or matter. Um, and, it occurs to me that there's a lot of overlap here with the claims of uh, of Christianity, at least in as much as Christianity has claimed and continues in some uh, circles to claim the existence of supernatural miracles. And so I was curious what you thought about the, the kind of relationship of um, uh, parapsychology, at least its subject matter, the paranormal, with um, some of these more supernatural elements of the Christian worldview um, what are differences are there, if any, between um, the, the these sorts of things? Uh, so it's kind of an open-ended question. Take it whichever direction you want. Okay. Uh, well, these kinds of abilities that uh, parapsychologists attempt to study, so you know, uh, communication with the dead, uh, acquiring knowledge through uh, through means not not associated with uh, our traditional senses. Um, Traditionally, these abilities have been associated by followers of God with magic and sorcery. So 
<coughs> how these things line up with a Christian worldview. Well, we get one of the clearest statements about this from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verses 10 to 12. I'm quoting from the ESV. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For anyone who does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Hmm. Now, uh, despite this, many magical practices were accepted by believers right up through the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. So uh, philosopher Charles Taylor uh, talks about this in his book, A Secular Age, as being the result of pre-moderns inhabiting uh, what he called an enchanted world in which the barrier between uh, the natural and the supernatural realms is porous and objects are charged with higher significance. And this opens the door uh, for what Taylor calls church magic, uh, the employment of uh, supernatural forces that have been created and blessed by God, uh, such as you know blessed objects that provide healing, uh, protection. Uh, in our last episode, we were talking about Christians and comets. Uh, I dropped in a quote from a 17th century Puritan who argued that God had placed the stars in the heavens so that we can read the signs that he put there for our guidance. Hmm. Uh, And we've got the casting of lots in the Bible and the use of the ephod and the high priest's breastplate in Exodus and Samuel, which could be seen as a form of divination. The snake on the the pole. So, yes, so the debate in church history has been whether or not uh, these admonitions, uh, like the one I just quoted, against necromancy and fortune-telling, mean that we should avoid all magic or that we should avoid bad magic, Mm -hmm. which involves turning away from the Lord and turning toward demons and false gods. So nowadays, uh, now that we're trying to be all sciencey about sci abilities, uh, the debate still ends up being remarkably similar. So the first question is whether or not sci actually exists. Right, right. Uh, If the answer is no, and it's all fraud and baloney, then Christians should take a stand against uh, parapsychology because you're getting baloney mixed in with my truth. Right. And the fraudulent uh, aspects, of course, uh, that is lying, which we're also not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if Psy does exist, then the question is where it comes from. If it exists naturally, then it is part of God's good creation. Yeah. Which means that there would be no objection uh, to the investigation and use of these abilities. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Reverend Canon Dr. Michael Perry is a retired Archdeacon of Durham and former president of the Church's Fellowship for Psychical and Spiritual Studies in the UK. Hmm. Uh, this, uh, this fellowship was founded in 1953, and quoting from their website, it exists to promote the study and integration of psychical and spiritual experience within a Christian context. And they publish a semi-annual journal, The Christian Parapsychologist. Interesting. Uh, doc- yeah. So Dr. Perry has written several books on this topic. And he claims that psi abilities are gifts from God. And that as God is the Lord of both heaven and earth, that contact with departed souls is permissible so long as we do it responsibly and to the glory of God. Now, 
many others are uh, less sanguine about this viewpoint and see the pursuit of psi abilities as uh, potentially spiritually dangerous. Uh, so Elizabeth Hillstrom, for example, is a physiological psychologist and professor emeritus of psychology at Wheaton College. Uh, uh, so I read one of her books, and she dismisses the idea that there is any form of spiritism that fits with the Bible's teachings. Now, she claims that the vast majority of psi phenomena is just ordinary trickery, you know, uh, bumping tables with your knees and things like that. Yeah. Um, and the pursuit of these false teachings should be avoided since they lead us away from the truth. But spiritual warfare is a real thing. So the possibility exists that at least some paranormal phenomena might be due to demonic activity. Uh, theologian Kurt Koch makes the same argument in his book in which he describes uh, 600 case studies of Christians who experienced what he called occult phenomena. Uh, Koch also talks about the various mental illnesses that could lead someone to believe that they are experiencing parapsychological events and warns that uh, we should not be too quick to jump immediately to a demon theory of ESP, but he also sure. does not rule it out entirely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I've seen, um, in my own um, looking into this, I've seen sort of the same kind of split between uh, attitudes among amongst Christians about this. And certainly I think you hit the nail on the head that first you've got to decide, is there anything to it? Is Psy real um, to begin with? And then what do you do with it um, becomes a whole different question. Um, one thing that uh, I've heard people argue about is um, when, when it comes to um, uh, Saul, um, uh, going was it the witch of uh, Indor, right? Indor, yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, and speaking with what um, was purportedly the departed spirit of Samuel, um, and of course Samuel gives him a good dressing down, um, saying, you know, why have you summoned me, etc. Um, uh, I've heard different takes on that from uh, uh, Christians in modern times. Some will say, oh yeah, this is. This really happened. Samuel came back and talked to to, um, to Saul and, and told him you shouldn't be doing this. Um, and this is saying don't consort with witchcraft, you know, Allah Deuteronomy, etc. Um, and others have said no. This this um, we don't. It doesn't. We don't really know that was actually uh, Samuel. It could have just been trickery or something. And that there's nothing that actually we need to take away from that, take that literally, and et cetera. And so even, even when, when it comes to interpreting these biblical accounts, it become, there's these different sides to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if there's a good... I, I certainly don't know if, if it were shown to me convincingly that Psy existed. Um, and part of me, there's always a part of me who wants to believe that it does. Um, and that, you know, maybe... There are people out there with these abilities, and it's just they're so rare or it's so difficult to test them in controlled circumstances, and that's why studies have failed to show it, not because it doesn't exist. There's a part of me who wants to believe that, um, but again, I, the scientist part of me is like, I need to see the evidence. But say if I were convinced, um, I don't know 
that I would come out and say, oh, well, we should stay completely away from it, you know, because it, you know, like you said, I think part of me would be wanting to say, well, there's something natural about it. It's part of God's creation. Maybe we should look at this and see what, um, what use um, and what, how this could edify and improve um, our walks with God, not necessarily immediately be suspicious of it as something that's going to be inherently demonic. So that's sort of my overall position, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, there, there's a lot there. I mean, we would also, uh, I mean, you, you talked about uh, the potential to edify uh, and uh, to, uh, uh, to facilitate our walk with God. Another thing that we would have to ask would be the purpose sure. yeah. for trying to seek this knowledge. I mean, are, are we actually doing this, you know, if, if I'm inquiring of the dead or something like that, uh, am I doing it uh, in order to draw closer to God and uh, uh, yeah. perhaps to find out uh, information that you know could be used to serve the Lord and to serve others, or am I doing this out of uh, just a sen- a desire to be entertained? Yeah, right. So um, I guess what I would say is that I wasn't thinking so much about contacting the dead. I think that's a lot a lot more shakier ground, biblically speaking, than than telepathy or or telekinesis or what have you. There we, yeah. So uh, I would I was actually had in mind more of the, those latter things if those were things that were shown to be true convincingly I think that we would have to think about these this it, it's it's not obvious to me one way or the other. I th- but certainly something like contacting the dead would be something that be a, yeah, a little bit harder to justify, I think. <laughs> so, right. anyway. We but, also get into some deep theological waters about the intermediate state between death and resurrection. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, I mean, do are, do people exist as disembodied souls during this time? Is there a period of conscious existence? Right. Um, uh, or, or, you know, if we go with something like the non-reductive physicalists, uh, do we just die? Mm. And then we get resurrected? Yeah. Uh, and we don't actually exist in between, uh, you know, and some people have, um, you know, messed around with the timeline. So it's um, <laughs> from, from the perspective of the deceased, yeah, it's instantaneous. Sure. In which case you wouldn't be able to communicate with the departed right. because, you know, so yeah, that, we get, we get into all of that sort of stuff. I mean, stuff all that, all that well, to me yeah. is, is really interesting stuff to think about, but you know, in the absence of having any sort of, of data, you know, it becomes, very difficult to to know what what how we should think about these things you know and once we start if we if and when we ever get data i think then things will get real so to speak and we'd we'd have to really really have to grapple with these instead of just sort of these abstract discussions which again i agree are interesting but yeah okay so um i guess the final question i have for this is if <laughs> someone asks you if you were a god what do you say you say yes <laughs> right answer yes we've seen this movie so um any final thoughts burning issues we haven't talked about already yeah uh, i think we've covered the uh one of the major uh, major points, uh, listeners. If you uh, want to, if you want to chime in, if you've got some stuff to contribute, uh, remember that we can be contacted at uh, uh, Book of Nature Podcast at Gmail dot com, or you can find us on Facebook, and uh, we can con- keep the, uh, the the conversation going. All righty. So I think 
that's it for today. Do we have a topic for next time? Uh, next time we are going to talk about the joys of teaching science. Oh, yes. That should be fun. Yes. Looking yeah. forward to that. Okay. Well, until then, the Book of Nature podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Again, as, ta- as Charles just said, please contact us on our Facebook page or send an email to thebookofnaturepodcast at gmail.com. If you love our show, and we hope you do, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on any sort of podcasting thing out there. We're on Stitcher, probably some other things. Um, but anyways, giving us a nice uh, review will help spread the word and get more listeners involved. Until next time, this is Dan Dawson on behalf of the absent Todd Peddler and the present Charles Hackney reminding you to never cross the streams. Thank you.